Okay, if you would please turn to Galatians chapter 2. I'll be reading Galatians 2 verses 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth, Peter, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Father, may the glory of the Gospel, the weight of the Gospel, the depth of the good news of Your Son, strike us for what it is. Beautiful. Freeing. All desirable. And to that end, help me this morning, therefore, unfold the gospel of justification by faith alone. To the glory of Jesus, our great righteousness. Amen. As we approached... These terms in verses 15 and 16 of Galatians chapter 2, even we have believed in order to be justified by faith and not by works of the law. And as I mentioned last week, and then what follows is so difficult and complex to unravel, I said that we're going to take four weeks, little mini-series of trying to unfold what is this New Testament core doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is week two. Last week we got to the core, the heart of the gospel. God's mercy from the cross where Christ was our substitute propitiating the wrath of God against sinners where our sins were imputed to Him and thus punished in Jesus Christ and God's justice was satisfied. If you didn't hear the sermon, please go back to the website and listen to it. But that part of Christ on the cross is only one side of the coin of what it means to be justified by God's mercy. Through Christ. What I want us to walk out of here feeling today is what John Bunyan felt, finally got in the 1600s. Bunyan is, he wrote a book that is the most or best selling book in human history, I think outside of the Bible or probably the Koran or something like that. But for years he was tormented over is he saved? Is his standing with God good or not? And he would vacillate as we human beings vacillate in our own faith and righteousness. And then he wrote, One day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, He, John Bunyan, lacks my righteousness. For that was in front of Him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. 
For my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away so that from that time those dreadful Scriptures of God left off to trouble me. Now went I also home rejoicing for the grace and the love of God. May we get that and experience that on a daily basis. Not only is salvation, and at the core of it, the New Testament calls it this, justification by faith alone. Not only is there the negative aspect where Jesus came and He removed, took away the penalty of sin by the sacrifice of Himself, but positively, Jesus' perfect human obedience and righteousness before God was performed on our behalf for all who believe. This is the heart of the Gospel. This is justification by faith alone, not by works. Remember last week we saw the term justification or to justify or I have been justified or declared righteous. It is the way Paul's using it in Galatians and in Romans, it is a legal term that has to do with how a person stands before the law of God, the justice of God. It is a declaration of our standing. Justification, unlike other doctrines in the New Testament, has to do with something that transpires in God concerning us. And it happens, therefore, outside of us. New birth, sanctification, growing in holiness, the fruit of the Spirit, all of these other New Testament doctrines, they do happen in us and through us from the inside out. But that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about, I have been justified by faith. What does that mean? It means something has been declared about you. Something has happened outside of you concerning your standing with God. You have been declared by the judge of the universe perfectly righteous. Acquitted of sin, acquitted of guilt, but more than that, perfectly righteous, though you yet sin. You see, justification by faith involves double imputation. Huh? That's a big English word. To impute is very different than to inject or to infuse. For instance, have you, we all sin against each other in life and spouses and children and friends and we're, so, oh, I, I didn't mean to hurt you, I'm sorry, but have you ever been accused of someone says, yeah, but I know your motive and, and you know that wasn't your motive? They imputed to you a motive you didn't have and you're angry about that, aren't you? Okay, they imputed the motive. They didn't infuse the motive. They didn't come in and change your motive. They just said, I reckon your motive was this. Something outside of you that was happening in them. That's what imputation is. Or the way the new translations in English translate this word, counted or credited. I credit to your account bad motive to impute. Last week we saw that Jesus did make propitiation for our sins. How? God did not take some syringe, stick it in every one of us believers and suck out our sin and then inject it into His Son. He didn't become a sinner. 
Nothing changed in, in Jesus in the sense that this human soul and body who is God eternal became internally sinful. No, He didn't. God imputed our sins to Him, reckoned them to Him, and then He actually punished those sins in Him, nailing them to the cross. This week, the other side of the coin. Not only did God impute our sins to Christ as our substitute, but He imputed Jesus' righteousness, perfect righteousness to us. Imputed it. We're not talking about Him infusing it. It's another doctrine in the New Testament that's process. Here He imputed His perfect righteousness to our account forever. So, listen. Romans 3.24 Paul writes, And we are justified. Another way to translate that word dekai. Uh-oh here. We are declared righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In our text in Galatians 2.16, we, we know that a person is not justified or declared righteous by their works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And in Philippians 3.9, Paul says, Oh, and that I may be found in Jesus. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my doing the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. It's the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, okay, if you're not awake, wake yourself up and keep yourself awake because I'm going to read from Romans 4. If you will turn in, I'm going to read slowly because this word that in the Old King James normally translated imputed or in the New American and the English Standard Version translated counted is used ten times here in Romans 4. And I want you to hear them in their context as I just slowly read and then we'll talk about it. Starting with verse 3, Romans 4. For what does the Scripture say? Well, it says, Abraham believed God. He's talking about Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God. That's faith. And it was imputed or counted to him as righteousness. And now to the one who works, his wages are not counted or imputed as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts, that is, believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or puted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts, imputes righteousness apart from works. Okay, I'm going to go on to verse 9 now. All this word that keeps being translated counted is the Greek word logizomai. Every time. He imputes, he considers it, he credits it to your account. Verse 9. We say that faith was credited or counted to Abraham as righteousness. 
How then was it counted to him? Now verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted, imputed to them as well. Verse 22. This is why Abraham's faith was counted to him or imputed to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Okay, now here's the question about what does Paul mean here about counted? Your faith will be counted or imputed as righteousness. When we stand before God, justified, having been therefore justified by faith. In other words, declared righteous by faith. Does that mean that faith itself that we have in us is a kind of righteousness that we perform and God counts that righteousness of faith as that, that's enough. Now I'm going to impute full righteousness to it. Okay, did you follow that? Okay, okay. Let me give you an illustration. Back in 1980, I had a Plymouth Duster and I ran in the back of another car over there in El Porto and it dented the license plate of my car. That was it. It's a duster. And it crushed the back end of this VW bug of this lady. I'm 19 or 18, I can't remember. And I was under my parents' insurance. I didn't want them to know. You know, I had a minimum wage job, but my sister was dating a Saudi Arabian Muslim, and he came from big oil. He had a lot of money, and I would party with them. And so I went and finally, because I would hang out at his place at times, and, and so I followed him. And I went to his house, and I, I said, Muhammad, this is what's happened. Could you front me the money? It cost 800 bucks to get her car fixed. And I'll pay you back week by week by week by week. And so he did. And so I go back the first week and pay him 50 bucks. Next week, 50 bucks. Next week, 50 bucks. Next week, 50 bucks. And then he says, sit down. I see how sincere and faithful you are. I don't want any more of your money. I'm going to count that 200 as the 800. I impute your 200 to be 8 hundred dollars. So the question is, is justification God recognizing our two hundred dollars in considering I'll call it eight hundred? Is it God recognizing our saving faith, which is real and it's a righteous thing? It's a gift. But it's real. He gave it to us. But does he see that faith and then I'm going to consider that faith is perfect righteousness. And thus he imputes it as righteousness. Is that what Paul means when he says faith is credited as righteousness? Good. I'm glad I've heard a few voices say no. Because it's not. Justification or being justified is not God's seeing any righteousness in me, in a believer, including our precious gift of saving faith, and then credit in His righteousness. It's not what justification is. 
but it is His crediting to us His own righteousness in Christ by means of our faith. Now I know some might not hear the distinction yet, but it's huge. And this is not just theological nitpicking. I think it really matters practically in the long run. Couple reasons. First, why to go very slowly like I just did, and I will continue to do to see if you can see the distinction. First reason is because these texts I read, there's a few of them that sound like what I'm denying. They can be misunderstood when he says, faith is credited as righteousness. It sounds like faith is recognized to be righteousness. And that's not what Paul is saying. But the other reason is, there are today, for the last couple decades, voices in evangelicalism and non-evangelicalism in theologians a whole movement called the New Perspective of Paul who are arguing just that. Arguing at the core that the reformers of the 16th century got Paul wrong on this issue of justification by faith. You know, a good guy, I mean, he's almost 90 now, Robert Gundry, who taught for decades at West, Westmont College up in Santa Barbara, wrote, I joined the growing number of biblical theologians, evangelical and non-evangelical alike, who deny that Paul or any other New Testament author speaks of a righteousness of Christ that is imputed to believing sinners. He goes on to write, I myself would rather say that God counts faith as righteousness. Just as God regards believers as righteous even though they are sinners, He also regards their faith as righteousness even though it's opposite a work of moral rectitude. That's the first reason. Because there are voices, there's books, and it filters down through the church. It's the first reason why the nitpicking is, in, is important. Secondly, because Paul spends the entirety of Romans chapter 4 trying to unfold Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or accredited or imputed to him as righteousness. So if we misinterpret Paul here, we're misinterpreting the core of the gospel. See, the question for everyone in this room, if you are a believer in Christ, is, is your legal standing with God based on who and what He is in Christ? Or is your legal standing with God and judgment day is coming? Is it based on who you are? Is it based on your degree of faith today? And how that faith works itself out in loving acts? Is that the foundation of your standing before the Holy God? Now and on the day of judgment. Is it founded? Is how God views you founded on something outside of you? or founded on an internal disposition of where you're at at any given moment. God's glory in justification and our peace in justification hangs on seeing the difference.
the second reason. The third reason, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, be no longer children, but grow up. Don't be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but we, the body of Christ, are to mature. So, we should grow. We should love to see the distinctions of questions like that if the Bible brings them up because it is Bible. And we should want to see the depths of the Gospel and marvel at it and love it and be matured by it. And the Bible, for centuries, concerning this issue, has been a strength to your brothers and sisters on their deathbed. There's something about the prospect of death where you know your heart. And just experientially, you don't want to be standing on the foundation of the disposition of your heart. But you want to be standing on Christ alone. On His righteousness alone. And the fourth reason is, understand that imputation is different than impartation or injection into you. Yes, God does impart the Holy Spirit through new birth. Yes, He fills us with His Spirit. Yes, He's bearing and working in us the fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, maturing us, growing us in holiness, and we are called to pursue holiness. But all of that inner working in our daily lives as believers by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, all of it is built on a prior foundation. The foundation of the imputation of that man born of Mary, that human being. Not Adam, not the first one who, who messed us all up, but this second Adam who did it and imputed it to all who are His, His perfect human righteousness. The distinction between justification and, here's another New Testament word, sanctification. The process of being made holy. The process of growing in the Christian life. The distinction between justification and sanctification really matters. The only hope for progress in the genuine Christian life of sanctification is that we already have a right standing with God by faith alone. It's so huge. It's so huge because you, we, we went through the entire book of 1 John, right? And John believes this with all his heart. But then 1 John comes at you. If you don't love your brother, if you don't have obedience to God to love your brother, which is the fulfillment of the law, then you won't be saved because it's proof that you probably don't have saving faith and that's the problem. The Christian life is a battle against our sin in a battle of an obedience flowing from a heart of faith. But if you don't know how the battle's fought, that you stand on Jesus' imputation, that you're already perfectly righteous before Him, you will become a legalist. You will get it all messed up in your head and you will be tormented. Where am I? It matters very practically because the Christian life of all of us who are professing Christians is dead serious. If you walk by the flesh, 
you will die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you live. In Galatians, Paul will come to chapter 5. And he will say, it's your pathway, your walkway, according to the flesh, and you live, meaning unrepentantly living, according to your sinful nature. And he lists off, is that you? He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He does not mean because you failed to earn it. He means because that's the sign you're not in Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. Is that your pathway of repentance and walking that way? And if you're in Christ, then as you fight the flesh, there's a difference whether you fight it in order to get right with God or you fight it because you are right with God through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Justification is not a work of God in us. It is God imputing, considering, crediting to our account before His judgment bar Jesus' perfect life and His sacrificial death. So when Paul says, faith is credited as righteousness, he does not mean that our faith is our righteousness. As numbers of voices are trying to say in the church today. He means our faith is what unites us to Jesus Christ and thus to everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. Particularly His perfect human righteousness now and forever. So, are you still there in Romans 4? I want to just read again a couple verses. Starting with verse 4, Romans 4, Paul writes, Now to the one who works, his wages are not, and that's the same word again, logizomai. His, his works are not imputed or counted as a gift, but as his due, his wage. And to the one who does not work, but trusts, that's the verb form of to believe, but believes him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he, Abraham, had by faith. So, notice, Paul says here, faith is not the thing credited as righteousness, but righteousness is the thing that's credited, that's put to our account by the means of our faith. God imputes, God credits His Son's righteousness to the account of all who believe in Him. And at that moment where new life comes alive, through new birth, producing saving faith, you are, have been, and will never be undone concerning justification by faith alone. Look back, right, probably the same page, Romans 3, for a minute, that we looked at last week. Paul writes in verse 21, But now, listen to his wording, the righteousness of God, not Paul's, but 
God's righteousness has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, that is, the righteousness of God through faith. Not that righteousness is your faith. It comes to you through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It comes through faith. Because faith unites us to Christ. It unites us to God's righteousness in Christ. Faith is not the righteousness in us. And God sees it and says, well, look at you. And to make this crystal clear, one more time, this is how Paul says it in Philippians 3. And remember, Paul lived by the works of the law. He lived with the idea that what I do brings good standing with God. And he writes, starting with verse 8 of Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. He got rid of all of His crazy religiosity in order to embrace Christ. I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. His legalism. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. Why? So that I will be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own. It comes from my obedience to the law. No. But having this, that which comes through faith in Christ. Having the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul aims to be found in Christ. It is a favorite term of Paul's. En Christo. In Christ. You hear it throughout his letters. In Christ. Because he knows the only hope for any soul in here is to be found in Christ. And the only way to be found in Christ is by coming to Him. By faith. Meaning, trusting this great gospel of justification by faith alone. Paul does not and cannot mean in Philippians, God sees my faith. That's kind of a righteous thing, so I'll just impute righteousness to it. No. Because the righteousness that he aims at here in Philippians 3, it comes by being in Christ. And it is said to come through faith. And that it, it is based on faith or depends on faith. Paul's grammar and his syntax are clear. He's not saying that our faith is righteousness. But that because of faith, we are united to Christ in whom we have perfect righteousness of His Son imputed to us. Oh, let's be clear on the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just give one more illustration and maybe this will send you over the edge to saying it's going to really click. I hope. Say that in the morning, I say to my seven-year-old son, Caleb, you see all your toys and balls out here in the backyard? By the time I get home, by five o'clock, you must have it all picked up and put away in the garage where they go, or you won't be able to go 
over to Jetty's house for the sleepover, which he would really want to do. And I come home at 4.30. I walk in the house. I say, where's Caleb? Because nothing has been touched in the backyard. Oh, he went to the store with Mommy. So, I go to the backyard and I clean up all the toys and all the balls and I put them away. And at five minutes to five, his mommy and he drive up. And I go to the van and I say, Caleb, did you clean up the backyard? And his face flushes red and his mouth drops open and tears start to well up because he forgot. And he knew the consequence. And I say, Caleb, as he's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Your genuine apology there. I see it. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I told you that the yard had to be cleaned up. Look at it. It is. I'm going to credit that clean yard to your account by means of your sincere apology. Now, by that, I do not mean that his apology is the clean yard. Nor do I mean the clean yard consists of Caleb's apology. I cleaned it. I imputed it to him by pure grace. It is His apology that connected Him to my heart where I said, it's clean. It had to be clean. And it is. And I'm going to attribute it to you. The clean yard belongs to Him now. He has it. He did not do it. I imputed it to Him by means of His sincere apology. So, one more text. I want you to listen carefully to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul writes, I want you to hear the double imputation. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin. All he means by that is he put him he became the lamb or the, the substitutionary offering, sin offering. He made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin himself, never sinned, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God imputed our sins to Christ who never sinned Himself in His humanity. And God imputed His righteousness to us who had no righteousness of our own, no clean yard of our own. The key phrases there for Paul are the righteousness of God and in Him, in Christ. It's not our righteousness. Paul says, I know what God demands and I don't seek any righteousness of my obedience to what God tells me to do. And stopped it. But I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own like that, but only the righteousness that only comes through faith in Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, the difference between what I've been trying to unfold about the imputed righteousness, God does it outside of us concerning us. The difference between imputed righteousness Versus God 
takes the needle of God and injects something into our soul, a little bit of righteousness, that is in, inherent, living in us righteousness as the grounds of justification, imputed, or because I am a little bit better because the Holy Spirit came in me, by grace. The difference between those two is at the core of the great reformation in the 1500s. No small difference. The reformers were saying, when you read Paul, to be okay with God, to be justified by God, to receive justification, it comes by Faith, which unites him to Christ. Alone. And in that, what happened is, not any righteousness, oh, there will be righteousness in the Christian life to one degree or another, never perfectly. Uh-uh, this is where, uh-uh, there was a distinction that they see in Paul. But Jesus' righteousness is imputed Perfect righteousness is to the account of every sinner who has come alive to saving faith in Christ. And the Roman church said no. 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 Jesus is our substitute in two very important ways. As the Lamb of God who took the wrath of God as our substitute against our sin as it was imputed to Him. And in His perfect living where Adam failed, the second Adam didn't. In His perfect living, sinless living, perfect obedience of dependence upon the Father is imputed to the account of all who are in Christ. You see, think about it this way. If Jesus only bore our sin by imputation and died for us to remove our guilt, then we would be guiltless. We wouldn't be punished for our sin, but we would stand neutral before God. We wouldn't have any positive righteousness. Just what was so negative of our guilt is removed. But He did more than that. Oh, the other half of justification is that God declares believers not merely forgiven of sins, but positively righteous as if each and every one lived the full, complete, obedient life of a heart of childlike faith that only one man did. His eternal Son who became a human being, Jesus of Nazareth. I see we got six more minutes. And so one last thing. The foundation, the means by which God declares a sinner justified and righteous, it differs radically between the Roman church in the Reformation Church. In the Roman Church that I was born and baptized and confirmed in, we call it Roman Catholicism. Some of us still think we're Catholics. Universal Church, we only believe in one. For them, the declaration of declared righteous or justified, okay with God. You, a sinner, okay with God. That declaration is based upon the infusion of God's grace into you. And thus there's a change in you. And from that change comes now God's declaration of justified. 
holy. Then he gives varying degrees of justification based upon it. You can lose it. It's called mortal sin. It kills your life with God and your standing with God. That's why a whole sacramental system of works developed over centuries so that now you can get right with God again and retain your justification from your baptism that you got and confirmed at your confirmation and now you do it through the sacrament of penance. But he gives varying degrees of justification depending on who you are today. How well are you doing? How strong is your faith? How strong is your holiness? How strong is your obedience to God? As a result of this, you can never be sure who's going to heaven or not. One of the, one of the doctrines that I was clearly raised on, it was one of the very few that my dad knew, but I would hear this one a lot when it came to heaven and who's going to heaven or not, even as good Roman Catholics, is no one can really be sure. Because it changes every day depending on how you feel and how you're doing internally. And so let me just show you. In the 1500s, the Reformation starting early 1500s, by 1520 it's going full blower, in the 20s, the 30s, whatever it is. Now, finally in response to that, in the second half of the 1500s, the Roman Church got together over, I can't remember how many years, but the Council of Trent to respond to the Reformation. And here's a quote from the Council of Trent. If one considers his own weakness and his defective disposition, oh gosh, I'm doomed, he may well be fearful and anxious as to the state of grace, as nobody knows with the certainty of faith that he has achieved the grace of God of justification. And one more. The, the official catechism, the latest edition that, I think it's the latest edition I have in, in my study of the Roman Catholic Church, says this concerning justification. Justification detaches man from sin. And justification purifies his heart of sin. It frees from the enslavement to sin and it heals. Justification includes the remission of sins, includes sanctification and the renewal of the inner man. And I... I hope you and many reformers. See, I'm a real reformer because I really protested. I was raised Roman Catholic. For Paul, the declaration of justified doesn't follow the working of God's holiness in the believer, which is happening in every true believer, but it doesn't follow it. It is prior to it. It follows saving faith and the imputation of Christ's righteousness once and for all and done. The man, Jesus, lived in absolute, perfect, human obedience on the behalf of all who are being saved. As Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 1, He, Christ, is our righteousness. Get it? Believe that. It's not just Christianese. He is your righteousness before God, the law, the judgment forever. He stood in my place and bore the wrath that my sin deserved because God considered my sin to be put upon Him. And He stood in my place he lived in perfect, sinless obedience. And God, I, I make a, an audacious statement. Took Jesus' perfect, sinless righteousness and said, Joe LeMay, 
because of my grace bringing you alive and uniting you to my Son through faith, I want you to know as perfectly righteous, positively righteous and obedient that Jesus was, that is you. You are clothed with His righteousness. He became what He was not by imputation and was punished as a condemned criminal before the judgment seat of God so that we can become what we are not. Righteous. But we are declared righteous. And so this is why, as I close, Paul says, we are justified by His grace. In Romans 3.24. That's why he says in Romans 4.6, because God imputes righteousness to us apart from works of the law. It's why he says in Galatians 2.16, we have been justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. And it's why Paul says, so that my goal in life is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my obedience to the law, but the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Justification is God's declaring forever. Not guilty and positively perfect human life you have as your clothing forever. And so I close where I started. No wonder John Bunyan, after struggling for years in his conscience about his standing with God, finally experienced. One day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness, John Bunyan, is in heaven. It's in heaven where Christ is. And he says, I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, there I say was my righteousness so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, sinner, God could not say of me. He lacks my righteousness. Because that was right there in front of God. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better. Well, that's a hard one, believer, for you to get. Nor yet my bad frame of heart that made my righteousness worse. Because my righteousness was Jesus Christ Himself. And then, I paraphrase, He says, I was freed from my imprisonment of vacillation and confusion about my standing with God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that this doctrine, this biblical New Testament core teaching of justification by faith alone, this double imputation. Christ never sinned, you imputed to him our sins. We never did one perfect act of righteousness before we came to Christ or after. Yet you imputed perfect righteousness to us. That this be the deepest, most solid ground of our daily walk with you. 
may we experience because of it in our prayer lives, in our repenting lives, in our fighting the faith, a joy that is unspeakable, filled with glory, and obtaining as the outcome of our faith in this Christ, the free gift of the salvation of our soul. Amen.